Thank you, Pastor Nick. It's good to be with you on this 4th of July weekend. Are you all fireworked out? Yeah, I'll tell you, that is uh, such an indicator. We're in Topeka's when you see all the fireworks around. And we had friends visiting from Dallas, and they, they know nothing like this. Because everything's outlawed. That goes up in the air and goes pop. So that's all outlawed. So they came here and said, this is like World War Z. People are like zombies. Walk, fireworks, I must let them. It's, it's crazy. But uh, we take great pride in celebrating the 4th of July here in Topeka, right? And I just thought, if we just tithed the amount of money spent on fireworks, our church budget would go up by 40%. I just think that. We're crazy about this, aren't we? Well, it's really good to have you with us this morning. We are uh, finishing up on a series called Hope as we look at the hope that we have even in desperate, dire times like Israel and Judah as they were scattered around the world because their disobedience to God. We come now to the prophet Ezekiel. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Ezekiel. It's the fourth largest book in the Bible. It's uh, in the Old Testament, and uh, I'd like to turn your attention to chapter 36. It's, uh, like I said, one of the largest books of the Bible, but it's one of the least understood books of the Bible, probably because there's so much prophecy, and as you look at it, you try to interpret what it means. It's easy, very easy, to get lost in this book, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't study it. Uh, it means we should co- probably put the anchor down and, and commit our lives to a lifetime of studying the Bible. It happened at a very turbulent time in Judah's history. 722 BC, Israel was hauled away by the, the uh, Assyrians, pretty much scattered around the world. In, uh, in, in, fi- in the 590s BC, Judah, the final two tribes of Israel, were uh, exiled in Babylon. And Ezekiel was one of those exiles who was taken back to Babylon. And Israel was dying because they were dying as a nation because they were dying spiritually to God. And the name Ezekiel literally means God strengthens. And so into this very turbulent environment, God was going to strengthen his word and strengthen his purpose among the people who were exiled. Ezekiel would call for restoration. It was not the heart of God for them to die as a nation. And in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 31 through 32, it says, Why will you die? God asked this. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. That's the message. Turn and live. Even though they were exiled, God was calling them back. And he would give them restoration, even at this time of history. And as I talk about this restoration that God was going to give to Judah, let me just pause and ask you a quick question. Where are you? What in your life is exiled? What in your life needs restoration? What's broken? What's not working? What is forgotten? What's frustrating? What's failing? And how have you tried to restore that? Because it's human nature for us to try to fix ourselves. And folks, what the Word of God is going to teach us is we cannot. And I know our culture is very much focused on a personal independence, making personal decisions, 
bucking up and handling it, taking those challenges and storming the mountains to make it happen. But, but the reality with God is we cannot fix ourselves. We need him to restore us. What is it? What keeps coming up? What's that cycle in your lives? And as we talk about this, just want you to write down that issue. Some of you, it's bitterness. You struggle. Something's happened. Something was taken from you. And you're bitter towards a person. You're bitter towards a reality. Others of you are angry. You're angry with someone. Someone has betrayed you. Someone has taken something from you. Write that down. Write that down because we're going to come back to it. Because here's the reality. I believe everyone is here this morning. You wouldn't have gotten up on this, a weekend like this if you didn't want to grow in a relationship with God. And so God's word's going to guide us into some of the key areas of our lives that we struggle with every day. And if we're willing to allow him, he's going to restore us. It's just like a broken down house. God's restoration process is not easy. It's costly. It's timely. It's not something we can just go zip, 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 and you're all better and go, go leave, you know, and lead a happy life now. There's times when God just endures with us, but he is so dedicated. The heart of this passage is your heart. Look what God says in, in, in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's the heart of the issue, is your heart. We want to talk about how God restores our heart. Don't you long for it? I think there's that longing in each of us for that. Because God wants to restore his glory in us. We're image bearers and you play a role in revealing the glory of God, not just to your family, not just to your community, not just to your nation, but the world, the nations. God wants you to be an image bearer reflecting his glory. We need, folks, we need restoration because just like Judah, just like Judah, there's three things that are every bit as true of us. We need restoration because we're distant from God, because we're dispersed, and because we're detained. That was Judah. They were, they were distant, not just physically. They were distant spiritually. They worshipped their own gods. They had the option now in Babylon of worshipping all the Babylonian gods. It was just their god of choice. It wasn't the one and only God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God who had called them out of Egypt and put them in the promised land. The God who was going to restore them, God was calling them back. Do we struggle with distance from God today? Absolutely. You know, I just find people searching for something. Early in life, we tend to search outside of ourselves for meaning and purpose. We tend to think, if I just get this education, if I just get this job, if I just get this person in my life, I just get married, if we just could have kids and we search for them, if I could just have that raise, if I just get in this house and we look outside of ourselves for answers. But then as we grow older, I've noticed this switch, we start looking inside of ourselves. And we all come up with this, apart from God, that the answer can't be within. We can't fix ourselves. And so it's kind of built within us an exhaustion of searching 
an exhaustion of being distant from God. And the Bible describes this condition as lost, just lost in this world. We're also dispersed. You know, Judah was dispersed around the land of Babylon. Are we scattered? Absolutely. More than ever, without a common bearing, distracted, hurried. And hurry is the enemy of the Christian life. It's like Paul says in Ephesians 2.12, that we were once without hope, without God in the world. We're, we're just dispersed. And the, the biblical word for that is wandering. We're wandering around, looking for the next best thing, trying on things to give us meaning and purpose. But we're just wandering. The other thing about Israel is they were detained. They were literally captive. They were enslaved. Did you realize that's another biblical word for our condition away from God? Enslaved to sin. The power of death in our lives. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we are. And you know, I've just found that apart from God, the more I try to be good, the more I realize how bad I am. And, and that's our thing. If we're just going to think it's in us to get better, and that's really actually one common indicator of addiction is that I just need, I'll stop, I'll stop. I won't do it. I know I said it 2,000 times, but I won't do it. And those of us who have people in our lives who are addicted to different things, it's beyond, you're just trapped. It's beyond what you can do. But here's the goal of God. The goal of God is to rescue and restore us. That's his, that's his desire. And if you look at the scriptures, that's just a quick summary of God's whole intention through the scriptures from Genesis chapter three, when we fell and walked away to Revelation chapter 21, where, where God restores fully and finally all things. We're in this story and you are placed in this world. You're placed in your family. You're placed wherever you're at at your place of work to be a part of God's rescue and restoration of your own life and the people around you. And God's entrusted you with three things to do this. He's entrusted you with the gospel that literally says you can't save yourself. Only God can save you. The bad news of the gospel is you're dead. You're dead to God. The good news is Jesus has already completed that work for you. He lived a life you couldn't live. He was perfect on this world. He died a death you couldn't pay. You couldn't pay for your sin. Even with your death, you can't pay for your sin. Gee, only Jesus could pay for that. And he rose again on the third day. That by him rising from the dead and being the firstborn of that, we too could share in that through faith in him. We have the gospel, the greatest news ever given, the hope of humanity. We've also been given to reflect his glory, his goodness. We've been given his character in our lives. So literally, the church should be people who are living out the character of God in, your, in our lives. And we have two choices in our walk with Christ. We can either try to project our image or reflect the image of God through us. God wants us to reflect his glory. And we do that by following his character, by living out his character. And then God, not only has he given us the gospel and his goodness, he's given us his gifts that we would live them. We'd be empowered by the spirit to serve him, advance his kingdom, even the gifts, the financial gifts he's given us to give to others, to advance the gospel. 
This is what God has given in his plan of restoration. Because he's been redeeming and restoring us throughout history. So look with me at this work of God in restoration as he describes it to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. It's in verse 24 through 28. Would you read it along with me? It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I shall be your God. Now, just some things just to comment as we've gone through here. You've probably heard about 14 times, whether explicit or implicit, the phrase, I will. See, this is what restoration is. It's a work of God. It's not your work. It's God's work for you. The only two things we're called that you shall or you will in this whole passage is you will dwell in the land and you will be my people. Isn't that awesome? That is good news. It means all the work that God is going to do is his work. It's not your work. It's not by your works of righteousness that you're saved. It's according to God's mercy. And you see mercy right in the midst of a turbulent time in Israel's history. I want to say something about restoration that I think it's important. That restoration begins internally and then it moves externally. This is an important thing because remember, the target of God is your heart. One thing that we say here at Fellowship is just come as you are. We don't want you so focused on your externals that you ignore the internal. The most important thing about you this morning and throughout your life is your heart. It's the number one target. It's the first target of God. And, and your relationship with God and his target is your heart And so, therefore, it starts internally. Secondly, it starts individually and then moves corporately. It begins with you making an individual decision to allow God to restore your heart and your life. Now, once it's internal, it will always move external. So externals are included in this. God's not just saying, I'm only focused on your spiritual life. He also moves To the physical. But this is the opposite way we work. We like to think we can, if we look good, life is good. And so we focus on the externals. We like to think, what do people think about me rather than what do I believe about God? And so God calls us counterculturally to begin with the most important thing. It's easier, folks, to get ready And to make yourself look presentable on the outside than it is to allow God to do an internal restoration of your heart. But we're called to focus on that first and foremost. It's supposed to be our primary focus with God is our heart. I also can't make you believe the church doesn't save you. We never at a time call you forward and I would say, now you are saved. No, that's not up to me to do. That is something 
that through the Spirit of God in your life, you respond to it. it you need to begin individually. Every, it, it, that's why we always call you to an individual decision to trust and to follow Jesus Christ. And like I said, it's costly and it's timely. This is something that takes a lifetime, but it ultimately looks forward to a future restoration when God will make everything, every wrong right in the final restoration of all things. We look forward to that, but it begins internally and individually, but it always moves out externally and then corporately. God is going to do this and he's going to supply this. But I want to show you right now how to receive God's restoration. Because it follows with a pattern throughout the book of Ezekiel. God, first of all, calls everyone to return to him. God says, return to me. And so we're called to return to God, especially with the things that are broken, especially in the things in our lives that aren't working. They become huge speed bumps. And God says to distant, dispersed, and detained people, return. Over and over you get that picture in Ezekiel. Return to me. What does that look like to return back to God? Well, it means that we desire to seek him again. It means that we listen to him, that we learn from him, and that we seek him not just in an environment like this. And this is great when we seek the Lord together as a church family. But it also means meeting with your heavenly father on a daily basis. Basis. It means turning to him that those things that you've tried to control, the things that you've been bitter about, that you've been just stirring about, that you return back to God. And what does God do when we turn back to him? Look at verse 24. It says, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you back into your own land. Look at that. God's going to restore you to him. He's going to restore you to his purpose. And Israel was, and I will make literally Israel great again. Return to me. You'll come back to the promised land. We've got to return. Where are you? How have you tried to control it? How have you tried to handle it? How are you trying to fix yourself? You've got to come to that humble moment where you return back to God. Secondly, you need to confess your sins. Over and over in the book of Ezekiel, confess your sin. See, confessions of sin, confession of sin is related and linked with restoration. Why? Because God is perfect. And his righteousness and his glory, when it comes into our lives, we're reminded of our sin. You know, our world wants to hide and cover sin and ignore sin. We don't like shame and guilt. We are a we, we want to try to eradicate those two principles from our lives. But the reality is, God says, it begins. It begins when you confess. God's like my dentist. You ever think about When I go to the dentist, the first thing is, hey, Joe, have you been flossing? And I kind of go, okay, I think I have two out of seven days a week. And they say, well, let's open up. So they open up and my hygienist goes, wow, you haven't been flossing. And they check your gums and they call out the gum numbers, you know, three, four, five. And I'm like, oh man, I haven't been flossing. Okay, okay. You can't lie to a dentist. You can't because they can open up your mouth. I, even this last time, two weeks ago, 
Nyagenis said, did you, did you eat something really hot, kind of scalded the top of your, your roof of your mouth? Yeah, I did two weeks ago. Yeah. Well, I can see the scarring along there. Are you nervous? You kind of bite your cheek at times. Yeah, I do. I can see the scarring. And I, I kind of, you know, shame and killed my mouth. It's horrible and all. But you know what? You know what? I, at the end, I said, man, I'm a pastor. I would love to look into people's souls the way you look into my mouth. <laughs> Have you been lying at work? How did you know? Well, there's scarring on your soul. Look at that. And you've been looking at porn. Oh, how do you know? Just look at the scarring on your soul. <laughs> we all kind of want to look at that. Right? No, maybe we wouldn't. See, we can't fool God. He sees it. And so there's never going to be a time when you confess your sin to him that he goes, Whoa, man, was that a surprise. Whoa, that's really you. I mean, you look so successful. God sees your heart. If we could just invert you right now and show what's on the inside, on your outside. I'm not talking about organs. I'm talking about sin. See? God sees that reality. So he's pleased. It's his pleasure when we call sin, sin. It's his joy when we see what he sees. See? And, and we got to get over that picture because we're Americans. We like to cover on the inside uh, and, and just overwhelm ourselves with the externals. And we've got to be focused on the internals. And we'd like to think we could fix ourselves because we do a pretty good job. Now, folks, you look pretty good this morning. You can do pretty well with the externals. I mean, that's why they invented makeup. That's why there's, you know, all the implants you can imagine. That's why they have them, because we're focused on the externals. God is most concerned about the internals. We've got to do that. And we've got to turn away from the the thing of I can make this better and we've got to call it. You know, when you're a parent and your kid says, yeah, mom and dad, I see it. I, you're right. I was wrong. How many parents go, you better believe I was No, we tend to do that when our kids go, no, that's nothing wrong. What's wrong with that? Then we freak, okay? But your heavenly father who has so much more grace than even us parents, it takes, re- takes great joy when you call it what he sees it. So confess it. And what does he do when we confess our sin? Look at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Look at that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God takes great delight when you rush to him for forgiveness. So when you sin... Run to God. Draw near to him. Confess it. Confess it. Call it and confess it. So return to God. Confess your sins and then open your heart. Open your heart. See, we like to keep God on the outside. And we like to again show him the things we've done. We like to build the spiritual resume for God to accept us into heaven when we die. But the reality of what God is saying is no, no, no. Eternity is now. It begins now in our lives. 
So open your heart. He calls us first to love him with all his heart and our soul and our minds and our strength. Begins, open that heart. And here's what I've learned is I've confessed sin. It's good not just to confess sin, but to confess a heart. God, here's the part of my heart that's been wounded. And I open it up to you. Confession is good because it shows us the reality of our hearts. And the realities of most of the issues with my heart is my heart's been wounded. My heart is insecure. My heart likes to build personal pride. And when that's wounded, it's really good for me to say, Lord, I need to have you lead my heart. And when we do that, look at what it says. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Remember that the heart is scary, folks. It's insecure. But in order to thrive in our walk with Christ, we've got to open up our hearts to God and allow him to move. You simply cannot ignore the heart for a thriving relationship with God. That's why St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts were made for the hands of God to mold and to make and to keep Soft and living, not broken and hardened and dead. Open your heart. Finally, follow him. Follow him. Return, confess, open your heart, follow him. Obedience. For those who are lost, wandering and enslaved, God presents a path. And humility within us reveals a heart that is open, and hands and feet that are quick to obey. Because when we have God, when He is our hope, we have hope. We we have purpose. We're set free from the law of sin and death. We're found. But we're not just found and put into a vacuum and to to wait until He returns. No, we're called and directed. and, And folks, we're called to be available to follow. And when we are available to follow, look at what happens. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Look at that. That spirit. Look again. I will. I will. I will restore you. I will put my spirit within you. And I will call you to follow me. You know, that's whole picture. It's what the spirit is in our lives for. Jesus said, um, I won't leave you as orphans. Before he left, he said, I'm going to send the spirit into your life and he will guide you into all the truth. And ultimately, the spirit would glorify God. Again, there it is. We're image bearers of God. And he's placed his spirit to reflect the glory of God through our lives. Can I ask you real quickly again, what is it that needs restoration? Some of us have been bitter. Some of us have been seeking revenge. Some of us are overwhelmed with anger. Some of us are jealous. Things don't seem fair. We look around us and things, good things seem to be happening to people who aren't living like we are. Some of us are, are successful, but we're just self-directed and self-dependent. We're godless, practically. And so we need to come back to a place where we return back to God. 
Some of us are distracted, whether it be by wealth or pleasure or greed or gadgets. Some of us are consumed by lust. Some of us are controlling and we're led by perfectionism and, and what other people think of us. Folks, we need restoration so that we move our heart away from ourselves, that hardened heart, and to have them live again by the power and restoring work of God. I want to ask you right now, whatever that issue is, to come back to God. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and just in a moment, and asking you to bow your head just so that you're not distracted by things around you. And I want you to think about what it is in your life that you need restoration, that you need to return. Simply say to God, God, name the thing. I return to you. God, this is what I struggle with. And I'm coming back to you. Now, confess. Confess your sin to him. God, I've been working on my own strength. I, that's wrong. I need, to, I need to work with your power in my life. God, I want to get at that person and take them down. And that's not your heart. I am sorry for that. God, I've been angry. It's out of control. God, I'm addicted to. I don't want this in my life anymore. I know you don't want it. Just confess it. Now open up your heart to him. God, at the heart of the issue is I'm afraid that if, just confess that. Open your heart. If you know what it is in your heart, just say, God, in my heart, I just, I'm struggling with. Open up your heart. He sees it. He knows it. He takes glory in you seeing what he sees. Now ask him for the courage to follow him. Whatever he's going to lead you into. Whatever the word's going to call you into. Whatever people around you who are of the word are going to call you into. Just follow him. Lord, just say, Lord, give me the strength. Give me the courage to follow you, the one who will restore me. Let's pray. Father, Father, you see, you're not fooled by anything we try to project on the external. You see the heart, and we thank you for knowing us. You're not a God of the externals. You're the God of everything, but you focus on the heart. And we praise you for that. Because as you see us, you also restore us. And you take great delight for the glory, as Ezekiel says, the glory of your name, you do this. And we thank you for preserving your name for your glory in us. May we be people who are quick to return to you, quick to confess, open with our hearts, and immediate to follow you. And Father, would you be reflected in us. For it's in the name of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that I pray. Amen.